Hello and welcome to this special Pit Permaculture Magazine podcast to celebrate International Permaculture Day on May 7. This time, Pip editor Robin Rosenfeld goes back to basics, chatting with Hannah Maloney of Good Life Permaculture in Hobart, Tasmania, about what permaculture actually is. Hannah shares with us her unique permaculture journey, what permaculture means to her, and her top tips on becoming a real-life permie if you've been thinking about dipping your toe in. Enjoy. Welcome to our special International Permaculture Day podcast. Today we're going to get back to basics, asking the question, what is permaculture? So the first Sunday in May is International Permaculture Day, and it's a day where people across the world celebrate permaculture in all its varied forms, celebrating this amazing movement that Bill Mollison and David Holmgren created in Tasmania in the 70s. People open their homes, show films, give talks, and run workshops to share with their communities the wonder of permaculture. Now, for those of us who are heavily involved in permaculture, we talk about it as though everyone knows what it's all about. But for many people, they sort of think they know what it is, but they're not really sure. So I thought we could celebrate International Permaculture Day by explaining to people that don't already know exactly what it is. So today I've got Hannah Maloney here talking to us. Hannah is a permaculture educator, designer, and all-round permi superstar. And she runs with her partner, Anton Vickstrom. They run Good Life Permaculture in Hobart. So thanks, Hannah, for having a chat with us today. Thanks for having me. That's okay. So how would you describe permaculture in a simple and easy to understand way? Yeah, sure. So permaculture is uh, first and foremost a design framework. Uh, So before it's about uh, growing food or anything else, it's about how to design a holistic life that addresses things like building design, transportation and energy systems, uh, governance issues, and so much more. So it is more than gardening. It is uh, how to live your whole life in in a really sustainable way. Right. So a lot of people do get confused and think it's just about gardening. So what are all what are the other aspects apart from like say housing and transport but how mm. does it incorporate into your whole life mm. so uh you a lot of people say to me oh i've got a permaculture garden i'm like oh that's great but did you know you can have a whole permaculture life so yeah. a permaculture life includes uh you know how do i uh, organize my house inside and outside? How do I design my house if I'm building it from scratch? How do I organize my transportation systems? Um, how, what do I think about economics and, and how that relates to me? How can I set up systems that are really ethical and good for me as well as good for the world? Um, and of course, how can I grow a garden and think about where my food comes from and what role can I play in my food system? Uh, originally, permaculture, David and Bill it developed it around agriculture because agriculture is such a big part of our culture anywhere in the world. And the the theory was that if we can get agriculture right, then we can get a lot of other things right. But the definition of permaculture has now officially evolved and changed and in David's own words now include all those other facets of life because you can't separate those different facets. You can't operate in silos. You have to integrate them to have that whole uh, complete uh, system that will work well. You can't just go slap a Band-Aid on here and a Band-Aid over there to try to fix things. 
you have to start again, you have to design a whole life, a whole system that uh, addresses all facets of life and brings it together nicely. So when you're talking about systems, uh, what sort of, what are some of the principles and ethics that are behind them that make it a permaculture system as opposed to just any sort of system? Great question. So unusually, permaculture is founded on three ethics, which is earth care, people care and fair share. And that's really strange. Like uh, Compared to organic gardening, uh, biodynamics, you won't find those kinds of ethical foundations. And then on top of those foundations, um, Bill and David have developed a set of principles as well. Um, and they uh, their function is to guide you when you're designing your, your life to keep you on track and just give you some information about the key areas that you could address within that. So um, energy systems, waste systems, and so much more. Uh, so permaculture is a unique uh, system. When I say a system, I mean all these ethics and principles and methods and strategies and techniques uh, very strategically put together to create a real life um, landscape, peoplescape, buildingscape, whatever that might be. Uh, so it's, it's not, uh, oh, how do I say, it's not, it is so much more than gardening and I'll keep repeating that because it is so important. Uh, often when people come to our courses, I'll spend the first day or more just talking about how it's not just gardening because while it's a great hook and it's a fantastic inroad to permaculture, it is so much more than that, and that's a beautiful, powerful thing when we can really open our minds to that and create that holistic approach to living on the earth. So if we were looking at a permaculture, a world or a community designed with permaculture principles in mind, how would you give us an example of how that might look? Sure. Look, it will vary depending where you are in the world, of course. But the key patterns that you'll see anywhere in the world is that it's a more localised uh, system. And so instead of importing and exporting uh, foods and goods in and out of that, that town or that community, you'll see uh, a lot of people and um, uh, groups organising themselves around food, energy, transport, education, all those key things that we need to have healthy and happy lives. You'll see a, a bioregional approach as opposed to a global approach. And living globally is not a bad thing, by the way, but the more that we can relocalise uh, our lives in terms of what we need and what we produce, the healthier your community will be economically, socially and environmentally because we can see the impacts of how we live, the, re, the way um, we talk about having responsible lives so we can see that uh, the impacts of how we live, um, the results of what happens from that. So the more locally we live, we, uh, the, the more um, ethically we live by default, if you like. So, yeah, so some of the practical things you might see in within a community or a small town, even a bigger town, is uh, uh, all the fertile soils protected directly around that vicinity. So instead of building big buildings or suburban sprawl on that fertile soil, it will be protected to produce food. Uh, you might see some urban agriculture, so some city farms and community and school gardens. Uh, you'll see good infrastructure like good public transport and good bike lanes. Mm. And so decreasing dependency on that car culture and making it people-friendly as opposed to car-friendly. Those seemingly really simple things come down to good design uh, and creating 
human-friendly landscapes to be in. So it comes back to creating sustainable human settlements. And that's outside your fence line. That's within your, your city, your town, your country. Mm. So you have to think outside that boundary line. Yeah. And what about inside your fence line? So we know it's not just gardening, but it's for your home and the way you live your whole, how you design your whole property, garden and home included. Mm. Could you give us an example of that, maybe from your own house and garden and property? Sure. So what are some of the types of things that are happening on our own property? Is that... Yeah, and how, how you've incorporated permaculture to, into mm -hmm. that design. Sure. So we have some really practical ways we've uh, integrated permaculture into our property here in Hobart. Uh, one of the first principles of permaculture is observe and interact. And I, every day I will come back to that principle by default because it's through observation that we learn or we find the answer to whatever challenge we're encountering. And so we do a lot of observing and interacting here. Um, we've got some really uh, visible weight things that we do like we have solar panels on the roof we catch rainwater with some tanks we have a, a very large vegetable uh, garden and fruit and nut orchard in development alongside chickens and honeybees these are some of the most uh, um, stereotypical things that you expect to see we also have some more invisible systems we're revolving around things like waste and so we have a composting toilet uh, we compost all our organic matter on site uh, and, of course, when we uh, make choices around what we need to consume, we choose to consume things which are uh, not covered in plastic, uh, mm. are locally produced where possible. Uh, these are more intellectual decisions that we make which uh, inform how we live. So they're invisible but probably some of the more powerful things that I think we can do anywhere in the world um, and which impact our property massively. So we don't want to be bringing on heaps of rubbish because... Then we, we then we have to send it off to the local landfill, and that's that's you know it's out of sight, it's out of mind, but it's still just down the road, and it's a lot of plastic being buried in the earth. Mm. There. And what does that mean for our children's children? And these are big topics we have to not hide from. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So with the garden, I know it's not just about gardening, but <laughs> could you tell us how your garden works in a permaculture system and some of the design elements? Sure. So uh, just a little bit of background. We uh, live in a steep slope, so it's very, very steep, and we have great sun. We overlook Hobart City, which is beautiful. Um, but along with that, that steep slope comes some significant challenges around access and water management to the two key challenges. And so um, we've terraced the whole landscape really significantly, and that means uh, – uh, it's closely linked in with our water management plan, which passively slows the water down, sinks it into our terraces, guides it safely across the slope. Uh, the more we can passively manage water, the smarter our design is because it means we have to do less irrigating, less pampering of plants. We can just mm. set up our systems to be as low maintenance as possible. And um, so the saying in permaculture, we should have um, minimal inputs and maximum outputs into your design work. So when you design a landscape, that's the time you go, okay, how can I have minimal work into my garden system and maximum yields? Yeah. And water is often, water and access are often really two um, key issues. That's where you can get some good results from. 
um, especially in a steep slope with access, we don't want to be walking directly up and down a really steep hill. So all our paths are on contour, so we can easily walk across slopes with wheelbarrows or just with our own feet. Uh, that's the kind of thing you can get right when you're designing and leads to many, many, many happy years of pleasurable garden work as opposed to slogging it out and yeah. really resenting stupid hill. Why did we live on a hill? Yeah. <laughs> and so um, we love our hill because we've got good design and good, good access and uh, the water systems are now starting to really come into their own uh, in terms of irrigating all our orchards. We don't even irrigate them now and that they're only three years old. Um, right. And that's, that's, that comes down to good design because Hobart is actually Australia's second driest capital city in the whole country. So oh, really? it's actually really dry here. So if we can get water right, that saves us a lot of heartache later on. So how have you managed yeah. to get it to the point that you don't need to irrigate it? What sort of sure. design so, elements have you used? Yeah, the main orchard is uh, downhill of a house. And we, so we uh, have a significant bit of land above hill of it where we've um, all the water that runs down the slope naturally is slowed down and it ends up in a big infiltration trench which runs roughly on contour and it's dug into the ground uphill of our trees and seeps into the, um, the, the, the top layers of the soil slowly. And it's also set up with our rain tank overflow that goes through a pipe underground through a empty vessel uphill of the fruit trees and finally um, the some of our grey water from our kitchen sink will be directed into that in the coming future so we have three key ways of getting water into our perennial orchard and um, uh, other food crops it's a bit of a food forest in that zone yep. and that's the way of backing up all those major functions around water um, making sure that it can get water um, when it needs it, which is usually, you know, in summer. So our wet season is in winter. It doesn't need any irrigating for six months of the year. Yeah. And then in summertime, the grey water from the, the kitchens will um, irrigate it as needed. Yeah. Mm, so it's, right. it's not hard. It's just about simple, clever design. That's, mm, that's, and getting it right yeah. in the beginning. Yeah, ideally. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So your yeah. business is called Good Life Permaculture. So what's the good life to you and how does permaculture oh, sure. impact that? Yeah, so um, we didn't name it after the TV show from the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> it came about um, when I developed this. It comes from a really personal space, this business. We developed it. Um, Anton and I have always worked in fantastic jobs, really ethical and very permaculture inclined work and we moved from Melbourne to back to Tasmania um, for a number of reasons and one of the reasons was because we uh, a good life to us is based in the home it's not based in a busy workplace outside of the home and we knew that in Hobart we could afford to buy a, a property where we can have a uh, uh, a home-based life and mm -hmm. there's a great movement called the radical homemakers mm -hmm. um, uh, which is basically about embracing home economics and it's it's actually not very radical it's actually very very common sense normal how we used to all live but it's yeah. now sensible because of how extreme our world has evolved and so it's about basically bringing the heart back into the house uh, I work from home, for example. Uh, we, uh, while our work takes us all over Tasmania, it, it's centred from my house. And that means that 
rather than our house being empty five days a week, which is the reality for a lot of people, uh, our house is full um, 60 to 90 or 100% of the time. So that's really it means our place is a working home, which we love. Um, so a good life to us is one where we have a vibrant happening home and that's inside and outside of the house and a vibrant and happening community which is outside our fence line but within walking distance and bike riding distance and that's based on having good relationships mostly so having good relationships with our neighbours, our friends, our community and that's um, so important to us. Like mm. it's, it's something we're always working on and having good relationships with our daughter which is so challenging because she's very dynamic. <laughs> 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 making the time even though some of these things are harder we go this is what's important to life like mm. if we a good life is um when we, we make time for each other yeah. for our community and for to be connected to our landscape and everything that comes with that which is so much um and so when I was trying to think of a business name I was like all I want to do is have a good life and I, yeah. if I can keep focused on that then everything else will be okay and and part of um, uh, the business name is to help keep us focused and also inspire people to um, find their own focus within that as well and and to go for it whatever that might look for like for them mm. yeah yeah it sounds like you're living the good life <laughs> So what are some of the community groups We're trying. That you're involved with or community initiatives that you have happening? Sure. Um, so these days I've scaled it back just because of busy life, life and parenting. So the main initiative that I've been part of uh, starting is the Hobart City Farm, which is a, a long-term project we've been working on with um, the, a group of five people and we're fan, uh, all fantastic growers and community development practitioners. And there's now a half-acre market garden just north of Hobart um, growing annual vegetables and it's doing so well. And that right. is key is to grow food and to sell food to local residents. But um, the, in the coming years, you'll start to see more of an educational layer to that project as well about training up um, mostly young people but just people who want to grow food really well in um, small to medium or large spaces. But the objective there is to show that you don't need a large farm to to do to grow food, A, for your own self or for as a small business. And so that's a really... Uh, important focus for that one and to develop meaningful livelihoods around food production rather than um, uh, uh, fitting in with what's currently happening where farmers are not valued like they should be at mm. all. It's probably one of the most undervalued professions in our culture, I would say, in terms mm. of how important they are. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we just need to remember how yeah, remember how critically important farmers are and celebrate them and bring back that vibrant food culture that come, used to be more celebrated and more um, more visible in our culture, which is now being replaced by big supermarkets and convenience. And mm. So it's a long-term conversation that we're really pumped on having and, and helping other people to have. Mm. <laughs> well, we'll have yeah. to have a longer conversation about another time. <laughs> So as yeah. far as your journey into permaculture, how did you first come across it and what attracted to you to it? Sure. So I had a, um, in hindsight, I had a really unique upbringing. So I grew up in Brisbane, a uh, big city in Queensland, and I grew up in a city farm that my dad ran, which was uh, a mixed herb farm. And that was 
on a quarter acre property and he ended up, mum and dad ended up buying the neighbouring blocks, so I became half an acre and then my grandmother moved across the road so dad got her backyard as well and it became three quarters of an acre. So yeah. it was a really unique upbringing where I was exposed to um, uh, just urban agriculture. It was my dad's job for 18 years. It was a really serious business. It wasn't a permaculture farm at all. But it, uh, it was had um, facets of permaculture that I can look back on and go, oh, gee, that was great. And I learned a lot through osmosis. It was just mm. a, a normal thing for me. Um, I first saw Bill Mollison talk maybe when I was 16 or 17 at a local organic fair. Um, and as anyone who has ever seen Bill talk in life or on TV, he definitely leaves an impression on you. Yeah. <laughs> He's a very charismatic person. Uh, and so that's the first time I remember thinking about permaculture. And then when I was 18, I was fortunate enough to travel Australia a lot and um, meet some some of the world's best permaculturalists like Anne-Marie and Graham Brookman from the food forest mm. in South Australia. And those two in particular just um, joined the dots for me and I just went, oh, we're right. Permaculture is a whole-of-life experience. It's not just a garden. It's not just a farm. And those two really embody that in a way that I, I just find incredibly inspiring. Um, mm. And that was when I, I, I was able to uh, place my life within that context and see how it could be really um, incredibly beneficial for me as well as for the whole world. So that was really probably kick-started my um, journey into permaculture and, um, and led me to where I am now. Yeah. Mm. So there are lots of courses out there that people can do from like the Intro to Permaculture, PDC, which is a permaculture design course, Diploma in Permaculture, Cert for Social Permaculture, as well as workshops in organic gardening, market gardening, intensive growing, fermenting, blah, blah, blah. The list goes on. Um, what's the best way for people to learn about permaculture, do you think? Well... I think obviously that will depend on the person and how you like to learn. Um, I really, really believe that you don't need to go and spend heaps of money to learn about anything in particular in this day and age. And we are blessed with fantastic public libraries and there's this thing called the internet now where you can just go and Google anything. Yeah. <laughs> and, YouTube, um, anything you need to know. Yeah, I learn a lot from YouTube. <laughs> um, and... And, of course, there's some fantastic workshops available now, whether that's uh, uh, independent adult education or formal TAFE or university, and that's fantastic that's available. That was never available when, um, as a young person for me growing up. So I encourage people to take advantage of those different avenues of formal education. But to remember, informal, self-directed education is sometimes more powerful, more appropriate and more um, more available to a lot of people. And uh, to find the people in your community who know things, and often they're the older people mm. uh, who've ha lived a long life already and have the skills that you're after and the knowledge that you, you would benefit from. Um, you know, invest in books. Even though we have this internet thing, invest in books because they will always be there. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> really wholeheartedly think that's a great, great thing. And also I, I think it's really important to not just um, stay in your head and, and learn a lot of, of uh, new things intellectually but embody them in your hands, try things, keep trying them. Uh, even if you live in rental properties, 
you can do so much in what uh, in rental properties inside and outside of the house. Um, so I think learning is uh, important for your brain, but also for your hands as well, for you to really try things and see how they can look like in in the in the flesh. Mm. Yeah, wise words. Well, yeah. thanks a lot, Hannah, for your time and hearing about your experiences with permaculture and how it's affected you. And hopefully it's clarified it for people what permaculture is and what it's all about and why we all love it. Mm. No worries. Thanks for having me. Thanks for your time. You have been listening to the PIP Permaculture Magazine podcast. To subscribe to PIP, read our blog or sign up to our fortnightly garden and homesteading guide, visit www.pipmagazine.com.au.